0: now entering the Bitcoin Podcast
1: Network. Yeah. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. We in our chat. Bitcoins, we got them. Acquire, never sell. But catch us rolling deep like Adele. Bitcoin chains cryptocurrency 3 guys played talking bitcoin no fee that's the free bitcoin podcast insane and adoption is still the only thing 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 that matters main
2: hey everybody welcome to Another episode of the Bitcoin Podcast, episode number
0: 164. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number three, Corey. D is out doing something, being a a boss of bosses and not being a morning person, because that's when we record.
2: But we got someone to fill his shoes, someone
0: worthy. We'll introduce you to him when he comes back into the Skype channel for now. (laughs) I am over with sober October, officially as of yesterday, and now I am officially hung over from the party that I had in celebration of my soberness.
2: Now you're in hungover October, and you're entering will not remember November.
0: Ooh, that's clever. Look at you.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh, we, by the time you hear this, our Cancun trip will be over. So hopefully it went well. This is after Cancun?
0: Yeah. I thought this was going to be like during Cancun.
2: It might be during. Either way, we're having fun right now.
0: Yeah. way you're back. You're
3: actually traveling right now? Yeah, I'm still here. I just don't. We'll just see how well the connection will be. Sound You're fun. actually traveling right
2: now? No, but we'll podcast magic. Like by the time this goes up, some events will have
1: that's, occurred. Well, <laughs>
2: Yep. We're not super live. We just make it seem that way.
1: <laughs>
2: live
0: from the studio.
2: Live. All right, what do you guys want to talk about? Should we get into... Um, I'm interested in Blockstack. Did you know that Blockstack is offering 25 grand for anyone to build a portfolio app for them?
0: Really? Yep. I have someone it. that should contact them. So I know a couple people that have contacted me via I'm building a portfolio app. Would you like to take a look at it that I could send their way to try and claim that bounty?
2: Yeah, I think that like uh, any, any company that gets an overwhelming inbound of requests for a private token portfolio manager should reach out to the community and see how they can help them. I think that's a great idea.
0: If they have stipulations to the portfolio they would like to. They would like to establish. Yeah. Like what is it? What, what, what yeah, does it need to do?
2: Uh, you well. You, obviously, you must use Blockstack. Uh, it it must be a web app accessible by the Blockstack browser, and you uh, have to use a third party service to pull in token data.
0: Well, that's like you're not going to build. That's what you have to do in order to build a portfolio. You got to build in. You got to pull in. All of the take advantage of a lot of the like the data APIs that are currently available for coin data in terms of is like historical price. Basically, I'd say historical price and ICO data are the only things you need to make a good portfolio app. Because if you look at something like Blockfolio, which has kind of been, I don't want to say the gold standard, but the main thing I would, that most people in our Slack and what I use. It, to keep track of like things that you've invested in lacks mm-hmm. in a lot of in a lot of ways. and I know a lot of people that are trying to like build on that. There was a new one that just got introduced inside of the um I think it was dev uh, red De- or f dev subreddit that's trying to fix some of those things called Delta and then another one from a guy on our slack that's building something. So, huh. know, and it doesn't and, take
2: that long to build.
0: Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess I guess <clears throat> it depends how good do you want it to be? Like <laughs> there's some there's a lot of work that goes into the getting that information. I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not that maybe that's not that well, that's true.
2: Because I, I think one of the biggest judging criteria is, is hey, have the requirements been met or have you exceeded the requirements. So I I guess if you want to just meet the minimum bare bone requirements, it won't take too long, but if you want to go above and beyond there's, uh, you know, if, is the application easy to use? Are, are users going to be able to use it and onboard and adopt? Uh, how's the navigation inside, inputting your data, viewing the data graphically and from a table form? I mean, there's a lot of components. So I
0: guess mm-hmm. you're right. Multiple portfolios. So, like, I have, I have my money broken up in many different places that I would like to track separately yeah which blockfolio doesn't have no Wayne, you you've you've talked about this quite a bit in our in our slack you um you've talked about different things you use you use cointracking.io i think to track a lot of your stuff you want to talk about that yeah how's that
3: yeah cointracking.info give yeah. me one minute i'll be right back
0: all right we'll, we'll get back to you just to say you're back when you're back uh because i remember you were like
2: either, what was that, Delta? And I was like, what do I need a new wallet for? And I started thinking about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, it would be nice to track individual coins and, and like do with, this and this and this. With, so, with
0: Blockfolio, I can't, like if I'm participating in an ICO, I can't, or even if I've got coins from an ICO or, or pre-sale or something like that, or even just from like a, like a sponsorship, one of our sponsorships because it's coins, like, I, can't, I can't put that in Blockfolio as a separate type of thing. Furthermore, I can't, like, I can't sell one coin for another <coughs> inside Blockfolio. It has to be two separate transactions that I put into it, which is kind of annoying. I would like to be able to move my money around. Like The money that I move around Blockfolio isn't as liquid as the money I move around in the space, which is which is ridiculous, in my opinion, right? Because it's just an yeah. app tracking things.
2: It's That's not, the way I use it. it. It just tracks stuff for me.
0: Right. That's where but, the functionality ends. But yeah, but think about that. Like, if the if the app can't match the actual usability of the money, then it's it needs to be improved because the moving the money should be the hard part. Tracking it is just like I don't know, keeping keeping track of it. <laughs> it's that you can. It's not actually moving money, so it doesn't need to have all of the security implications and difficulty associated with moving money or maybe we've just made moving money that easy
2: yeah I'm, I'm waiting Well, now, now I have an uncomfortable amount of money on, on my Coinbase so now I have to like pay attention to more stuff than just hey I just bought some Bitcoin on Coinbase I'm going to leave it there everything's fine so it's like the more the more you get involved the more you have to learn to protect yourself I'm finding myself reading white papers now.
3: All right, so can you can you hear me better now? Yeah, we got yeah. you. All right.
0: Yeah, we we're talking about um, a lot of the, like the coin tracking apps, and that Blockstack was just said they're going to pay twenty five thousand dollars bounty for someone to build a portfolio on Blockstack. And like, you've been using Cointracking.info for a long time. What do they? Like, like tell, tell us about that.
3: I have. So you know, I, I looked at the you know, the, the Bitcoin tax place and a couple of different places. So I started with some of the, just the mobile apps, like coin io, yeah. which is run by the, um, the, you know, the Fox place, right. You know, the, the guys who run, um, shift. you know, well, no, the, the, um, <laughs> I just, I lost it off the top, the tip of my tongue. Um, the, the quick, uh, uh, the quick exchange, the the ones that if you you've had them on the podcast before, um, the most common place that you can swap, uh, the
2: oh man, start with an let's shape shift. Yeah, like shape, said uh, that. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah.
2: podcasting is harder than you thought. <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> yeah, so so uh, CoinCap, I loved CoinCap because it had the the most uh, you know uh, shiny, flashy app that, you know, as soon as you start talking, hey, have you heard of Bitcoin? Have you had you know, hey, look at this, you know, and it's, it's flashy, right? You know, you kind of impress yeah. your friends with, you know, look at you know the price changes and it's 24 hours and it's kind of you get someone. And then they had in that app, they had a way that you could, you know, type in, I've got 0.01 Bitcoin or I've got three Ethereum. And so it was kind of your first free way to track you've got a coin. And so that held me for a couple of weeks. And then um, uh, as I bought a couple more coins and a couple more coins, I realized, you know, this, it takes a lot of work to add to my alt folio. And then, you know, I, you know, I didn't realize there were a lot of things that you could use to track your folio. So then I, of course, I submitted a little support request to them and say, you know, it'd be really neat if. I, you know, you would just update your, your folio uh, somehow with an API. And uh, then I started Googling. I got to bitcointalk.org and I realized, oh, yeah, of course there are services that you could go and actually track your, um, your holdings. And then that's when I really started doing a full deep dive into who offered what, how much it cost, how much was I going to do on my own. Uh, either in Excel or, you know, who were the quickens of the world that that did this? And um, when I really dove into Corn Info, I saw that um, not only did they have the most robust, uh, at least the people that I looked at, um, presence on Bitcoin Talk. They had a a very good uh, API connectivity. They kind of did their own due diligence. And what I loved because I was a power user, I liked controlling my own data. I liked that um, when there were mistakes, because mistakes always happen, these exchanges, you know, they're ahead of the game. they're, They're trying to put things out on the market ahead of time a lot of times. So they make mistakes all the time. The APIs aren't perfect. So coin tracking will pull the data in, and it's wrong because the exchange got it wrong. You know, be missing fees or they got a decimal in the wrong place. I mean, they, they're messing up all the time, these exchanges. So, with coin tracking, this uh, developer, Dario, he is on top of things. He's made it so that end users can do mass data editing and you can do undos and you can totally wipe out all your Bittrex imports and re import just that. And you, I mean, He made it so accessible that you can do a lot of things that normal mortals can't do, data manipulation of that size. And um, just a lot of smart things. Uh, You could subscribe, and then when you upgrade later, he lets you apply your previous purchases to future purchases. And uh, he has a very robust affiliate program and um, very responsive keeps adding features like every week. And yeah uh, I remember so Elias. there was lo- lots of that kind of stuff.
0: The lace from the Slack also mentioned them a long time ago. He used them to kind of keep track of like where his money went. You can do tax stuff. This is this, by the way, listeners, this is not a, like a, a paid for sponsorship. We're just talking about things that we use to track what the hell we've done with all our money. To try yeah, and figure yeah, exactly. out where it is and how much we have yeah. and how well it's done. And there's done.
3: free. It's free. Yeah. So I mean, coin tracking has a free mode, and I recommend anybody use free everywhere. Um, free, free, free. I, I love free, and you know, push the free as far as you can.
0: How about because, this? Let's uh, let's do yeah. this. Who are you, Wayne? Let's let our listeners know where you came from and what you do.
3: Oh, uh, sure. So. Um, I'm in the network security field, uh, so I hack the hackers. Um, that's, that's basically what I do. I, I protect large in- enterprises from um, the bad guys. And I, I got into blockchain a couple years ago, and it, it was that kind of thing where it was – I've been in network security for a very long time, uh, originally in the military, uh, physical security, uh, along with music, and that's kind of a math all its own. And when I heard of Bitcoin, I first heard of the name around 2012. And it was like, hey, hey the-. and then it wasn't until 2013 that I decided I really need to do something about this. And when I decided to do something about it as part of that research, it was, um, you know what? I need to do a little because, you know, because I was already in cyber security. That was my job. And I really needed to figure out uh, how to how to be safe, how to make sure that I don't get screwed. And uh, I knew about Mt. Gox at the time <clears throat> or I, I knew about the risks Mt. Gox hadn't. Necessarily. And I looked at the price. It was about twenty dollars for Bitcoin. And wow. I needed to decide. Do I mine or do? And I did about a week's worth of research. And I had put aside a budget for what I was going to do. And after that week, I am going to buy. And then at the end of that week, we had a little household emergency that just happened to amount of that budget that I set aside.
0: Oh, man. To, to buy. And
3: so... <laughs> I didn't I ended up not buying. And so it's like, okay, I I didn't buy. And then I kind of forgot about things and then Mt. Gox had happened. And you know, I saw Bitcoin go from twenty to twelve hundred. And of course, you know, I was kicking myself because that twenty to twelve hundred would have been Lambo land and yacht land. (laughs) (laughs) But but then Mt. Gox happened and it crashed back down to two hundred and it got back on my radar and I thought, okay, well, thank goodness, because who knows if I would have been smart enough to sell at a thousand or 1200, or if I'd have been, you know, would that have ruined my life? I, who knows? You know, you know, was it thankful Would you know, am I grateful or am I really I'm grateful. So when I got back down, um, it, I got, uh, when it was two, two hundred, I had that. And that's when I actually, did my first purchase, I have been doing some mining as well. So I do mining, um, cloud mining and real mining. And then when I really got in, in 2015, that's when I just, as everyone else has, depending on what year they actually got in, consumed everything. I I listened to every episode of the Trace Mayor podcast. I listened to every episode of just about every podcast that, that was mostly listenable. Um, started, you know, running a node, um, researching the alts, researching, uh, the politics, cause there's a lot of that and, um, trying to educate people how to be safe cause there's a lot of that. Um, started a, a few side businesses here and there, uh, help at work, you know, adopting, you know, making sure coworkers are safe, making sure family members are safe um, and, and all, all sorts of things like that. And then I, I look at pieces of software, like whether it be coin tracking or um, uh, you know, other different pieces of software or investments. I look at ICOs and then I look at the ICOs I can't be part of because I'm a U.S. citizen. And then it's like, well, why is that? And then I understand why. I look at monetary policy, I look at your podcast, I look at how that's marketed, I look at, there's so many different pieces of how Bitcoin and blockchain and, uh, and you know, power struggles and even within Bitcoin itself, how much it changes everything, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, you can, you yeah. can find it. I, I like that you said you didn't really get into it until after you were mining. It's like that wasn't that wasn't deep enough in terms of getting into it. But you see that like the whole thing takes over your life and starts to spread across all of the things that you know and all the people that you talk to in terms of like now that you've become the Bitcoin guy. It's like everyone wants to talk to you now that the prices are rising and you want to make sure that everyone that you're like all your friends and family are doing things safely, especially coming from a cybersecurity background. Like cello's now now getting into starting to look at ICOs, starting to really start to dip his toe. Because for the longest time, he would basically just like whatever we made from the podcast, it was just very much. Or like whatever he would do, like a a weekly buy or maybe a monthly buy. Other than that, that's all he did. He was no looking or trying to buy more. And now he's starting to kind of dip his toes into things. At least I think you are, cello, aren't you?
2: Yeah, and dollar cost averaging has been treating me pretty nice lately. That's so
3: important. That, that's that's usually the recommendation you have to give somebody because, and and D says this like uh, I think every third episode, and I can tell the frustration in his voice is why does everybody come to me and say hey make me money uh, because everybody's eyes are wide and because but it's just about everybody's first. Allure is like, oh, look, that's that's gone from twenty five cents to what is it? six thousand now? And sure, that that is an allure, but you have to be reasonable, and dollar cost averaging is all investment. You should be investing anyway. And I think what Bitcoin or blockchain or cryptocurrency is awakening a lot of people to some very fundamental things. It's awakening them to the concept of what value is. It's awakening them to the concept of what investing is. It's awakening them to the concept of what distributed power is, and it and it's doing it in a in a way that all ages can understand. And I, I think that's it's really it's an awakening.
0: Do you think that's a that's good? What it is. Do you think it's a like a like it's telling? Why so many people who are entering the space are doing it for money purposes? Is like I, I just now occurred to me for some reason is that investing in this technology, like all cryptocurrency, all like ICOs, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, whatever, you're, whatever you end up buying it in or investing in, thinking it's going to make you money, is actually easier than investing in traditional vehicles, right? And anything you would typically do for like buying stocks or, or you know savings bond, whatever you do for traditional investing. It's it's easier to get into cryptocurrency and get your feet wet. And so people who are just now, because most people don't even think about investing their money. like would say the majority of people who make money are living paycheck to paycheck. And they're not taking a portion of that money and putting it aside in hopes that it makes them money later on down the line. And this technology is a really easy way to start doing that, which is why we see so many people join the space being like, what coin should I buy? How do I do this? Investing is fun. Oh my god, I lost all my money! Like,
3: <laughs> <laughs> and
0: it's gone. Yeah, <laughs> but there's there's genuine
2: excitement when I see someone who's who's like, I just I just put a, I just signed up for Coinbase and I just bought a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin. It's like, yeah, you're you're how cool is it to be in the early adopter club? Like, are we, you're are here. we still
0: there? Are we still in early adopters? Well,
3: oh, yeah. that's, you're you're absolutely. There's so many. Um, I'm just going to call them achievements. We're, we're in the achievement age, the Xbox achievement age, where you, you know, you get in the um, this Xbox world where you can get a badge for everything. So, Coinbase makes getting badges easy. We have memes to explain things, and we're in this age where cryptocurrency. You know, there's not a meme or a badge for opening up a bank account. The schools don't teach you how to gamify mortgages. I mean, sure, you got Rocket Mortgage and things like that where they're, they're trying to make things easier. But the leap from the old way of doing mortgages to the new way of doing mortgages is like two feet. But the leap from the old is to Rex or or you know the blockchain – is a mile so it's just not sexy enough it's not fast enough of a of a of, of a leap that the uber is giving to owning a car and airbnb is doing to a mortgage and tesla auto driving car you can give a car a wallet that can buy its own gas and pay its own tolls and you know that kind of advance it's it's not the 100x that you know from the old way of doing things and that's what blockchain is giving to money and we've done all those advances in every other place we've done it with email from the post office we've done it with uber from you know we're now consuming rides instead of owning cars we're doing it with airbnb where we have millennials who they don't they don't buy houses as much they don't own possessions as much. They just they rent their places. They have a laptop. They've got a couple things. They've got their clothes, maybe. But they just go to trunk club and they have a job and they go live somebody some someplace. Service centric. Right? They're yeah. They're consuming services. we've accelerated those services to the point where money's the last thing to be amplified. And shortcut, and that's that's where we are.
0: I think we're we were building the money as a service platform.
3: Absolutely, and it's and it's less money. And um, there was a uh, a talk by Andreas Antonopoulos uh, from a couple of years ago where he, he talked about value, and just basically people finally understanding value as a language. Yeah, and have uh, you heard that talk? And um, and I think, was, as people understand really what currency <clears throat> really means and how fiat is being outpaced as this currency, this language of, of value, then it's like you know, when when is that hundredth monkey going to wake up?
0: I've I've uh I've thought about it, Are you gonna say something? I'm just saying maybe instead of you know
2: Andreas. We could have like Margot Robbie in a bathtub. Cause I'll never forget what subprime mortgages are from the big short because she was in a bubble bath. I
0: mean, that's <laughs> what we need. That's that's making well, it sexy. Yeah.
3: Well, you've you've had how many ICO spokespeople that are household names in the last you know, we've had three major in the last two months. Yeah. You've had Mayweather, you've had
0: the game, uh, Jamie Paris, Fox.
3: Paris, Jerry, yeah, Paris Hilton, Jamie Foxx. I, I don't think Taylor Swift had one, but it, those three right there, and now you've got NASCAR watching, box, you know, boxing watching, perfume buying, uh, you know, hip hop listening people. You know, they they're like, yeah,
0: DJ Collin. ICO? DJ Collin is, is talking about educating people about cryptocurrencies I'm, that's <laughs> i think i saw a Reddit yeah. posts it's like shitcoin incoming yeah yeah
3: <laughs> oh and the never-ending story the ambient uh hip-hop that's i mean that was that was a very chill sound i just put it on i got his track off itunes it was on one of your most recent uh, yeah. podcasts a couple times ago yeah. that was good music and so And he's tying into cryptocurrency. Like, it's touching all these facets, right? It touches education. It touches music. It touches. I mean, all these people are getting involved.
0: It's life, man. It's it's like we're we're, we've generalized the communication of value, and no shit, that that touches almost all aspects of our life and everything that we do because we 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 exchange value in almost every you know social transaction that we make with people, right? When we gives a bit of ourselves to somebody else in exchange for something like that, that's value. And when you digitize that, this technology allows allows that to happen easier. So I think that's that's like a, it's it's cool to see it actually taking over or like people catching on to it. And a couple of years ago, we were like, we, all we did was preach about like one day, people are going to be talking about these things or like, it's going to be normal. And it's just, it's kind of getting to the point where like, we're seeing it start to enter in to a lot of the big names. And they're like, this is something I should look at. Like, and it's now gotten to the point now where like, if you look at it, you're not going to say it's stupid. Whereas a year ago, there's still a lot of people that like shrugged it off. That's not going to happen anymore. So now we're just kind of start to get, you know, this, this steamroll snowball start to happen where, the people who see it aren't afforded the opportunity to shrug it off anymore. You just have you have to look into it.
3: That's right, mm-hmm. and I, I think when when I mentioned awakening, it it's awakening a number of things, not not just value, not just other things, but it's uh, and you know the concept of investing and and some practical things that that the apathy had been setting in. I think. in in our younger generations but I think it's also helping us get back to some core pieces that, that our society had been and is actively seems for example this whole hard fork business and consensus versus quorum the whole point of consensus is that we all have to agree and now we see the Consequences of what happens when we don't agree. We got a bunch of uh, consequences, and so if we cannot agree, we're going to have a these forks. Yeah. And 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 what is so amazing to me is that we're going to have these sides um, positioning themselves, and you know, creating political rifts. And I think now that people have their monetary stakes at risk, not just a political side or a, you know, whatever, an idea at stake. Now it's their monetary stake. It's like, oh, you know what? Maybe we can compromise. Maybe we really should take a step forward instead of 10 steps away to the left or 10 steps away to the right and that's what's at stake. We maybe we should together take one step forward that we can agree and everybody learn how to actually do some compromise because we have our maximalists on one side and we've got our you know people vying for power and control so much that now there's some real honest consequences going on. I, I think people will hopefully learn some concept, uh, learn learn how to actually compromise, and I, I think that's that's some good lessons that'll come out of this.
0: That's definitely true, and, and I think let's let's like I guess this is a good way to start to segue into our interview for the, for this episode. Um, like this, like because you have to compromise, or if you don't like something, you just take your money and leave, and you can like literally put your money where your mouth is. Like it's it's nice that we've we've provided like now at least we have services that allow you to do that. In the early days, you had Bitcoin, and so it was either have your money in cryptocurrency or don't. Now you have a lot of options based on the ideology that you follow or where you think your money, like where you think it's going to go. But in order for that to happen, you need the infrastructure to move that money, which is like where exchanges come in, you know, Bitcoin, uh, Coinbase, Poloniex, so on and so forth. But the issue with a lot of those is that they're centralized. So with the the technology, the best way to do this is to decentralize the exchanges as well so that you're not doing something in a traditional manner where you're offloading the responsibility of someone else to manage your money for you. You're not putting your money in a separate place and giving them control over that money so that you have the convenience of transferring it across all of the different coins. And decentralized exchanges are coming into play, which is who we interviewed this week, or this half week, oh. or whatever we're doing. doing Interesting.
3: Yeah. So we got like BitShares, uh, EtherDelta, uh, Dex. I guess BitShares is Dex, I think. Or, or who are one. some of the other decentralized exchanges?
0: This is a new one called, uh, or relatively new, called iDex. Uh, we iDex. Yeah, I a guy called Alex Weirn who has started the with what he considers to be the most decentralized <laughs> exchange or best decentralized exchange with current technology. And they're moving me Let me, uh, let me jump into
2: that sponsor before we get into that. All right. Is what do we cool? got? Uh, so this is episode 164, and that interview with Alex Weirn is brought to you by Pali. Uh, if you're not familiar with them, they're basically a decentralized social travel ecosystem comprised by solely the Pali Social, which is a mobile app. It's been live for a while, and then the other half is Pally Adventures, and that's where you come in. That's a community marketplace where visitors can immerse themselves in new cities through unique experiences curated by local hosts. So it's all about community. Safety is priority when you're dealing with stuff like this. So they don't tolerate any discriminatory, abusive, malicious, violent behavior. So if you're using it, I want you to use it with peace of mind. The pre-soul set out in 11 minutes. And the team is very, very busy as the crowd sale is currently going on. So if you want more information about that, head on over to Pally.co and we hope to see you there. And uh, like Corey talked about, uh, this guest is the CEO at Decentralized Capital. And basically, if I can explain it in one sentence, they provide users with a convenient way to bring dollars, euros, and other currencies onto and off the Ethereum network. And I think we're going to dive into that and IDEX.
0: And I'll take over D's responsibility. Here (laughs) it is. Hey, everybody. Today we're welcomed by Alex Wern from the IDEX platform, which is a decentralized exchange. How's it going, Alex? Doing
4: well. Thanks, guys.
0: Why don't don't we start with the general start off and give give us an overview on how you got into the cryptocurrency blockchain space in general, um, where you you came from.
4: Sure. So I'm an economist in terms of my background. So I first got peaked by Bitcoin in maybe 2011, 2012. Um, Wasn't sure what to make of it like a lot of people. Uh, Interesting technology and then obviously an, an interesting idea of this distributed ledger where there's no central party managing who owns what. Um, kind of watched it a little bit from the sidelines and then uh, once the Ethereum platform was announced, you know, that really piqued my interest. Uh, this idea of expanding the technology and using it to do more than just uh, kind of transactions and accounting, um, but, you know, expanding it to programs itself. Uh, so we've been working in the space a little, probably about a year and a half now. We actually started our original product was decentralized capital um we were working to bring fiat currencies onto the blockchain onto the ethereum blockchain so tokenizing them as an erc20 token uh similar to tether but operating on the ethereum blockchain um we got some limited traction with that uh but found our our interest kind of moving elsewhere in the space in particular the decentralized exchange area uh so that's what we've been working on for the last 9 months uh with the recent release of idex yeah so
5: what is how's that go id I was just gonna say, well, how's the release treating you? Is there are people responding well? They hopping on and you get a lot of a user um oh. what's the word I'm looking for? Uh uptick, I guess.
4: Yeah, it's been good. We're starting to see some growth in transaction volume and starting to get liquidity on the exchange. Um, we've got a Telegram channel where we can interact with users and answer questions. Um, a lot of it is kind of educating them on, one, our, our kind of our existence. Uh, you know, liquidity is the biggest challenge in, in an exchange environment. Um, people are going to go where other traders are. So that's the biggest thing right now. Is we're just trying to let everyone know that hey, our product's out there, and it's a uh, you know it's a a vast improvement on existing offerings, existing solutions.
0: Yes, yeah, so let's it's a good start. Let's take a look at like what what IDEX actually is. For those that don't know, like everyone kind of knows or gets an idea of what an exchange is. What is decentralized about it, and why is that important, especially for the space?
4: Yeah. So the decentralized aspect has to do with the custodian of funds. Uh, so if you think about a typical centralized exchange, you know something like GDAX or Poloniex, uh, when you want to trade on that exchange, you actually give your cryptocurrency over to the exchange, uh, and they become the custodian. You know you send it into some wallet that they control, and then at that point they're responsible for the security of the cryptocurrency. Um, and as we've seen in the past, that's you know harder than it may seem. Um, there's just it's a, a huge target for you know hackers in the industry. And because of that, um, it's, it's difficult uh, to maintain that, that level of security required uh, in order to protect users um, from, from outside bad actors. Uh, so a decentralized exchange uses these advances in technology, the uh, Ethereum uh, technology that I mentioned earlier, uh, the notion of a smart contract to manage um, kind of the custodian and the ownership or the, the transaction of the funds. Um, so instead of depositing into a wallet that the exchange controls, uh, when you deposit on IDEX, it goes directly into a smart contract. And that smart contract has a limited set of functions. And all movement by of the uh, of the, the cryptocurrency has to be authorized by the end user in their private key. Um, so there's nothing the exchange can do that isn't directly authorized by the user. So it kind of diffuses the security risk. So instead of having this big pot of funds that if someone gets active, to they can you know steal everyone's money all at once uh, now each individual user is in charge of their own security so if you want to make a trade on the exchange you have to actually sign it with your private key so we got a couple different support options you can use your private key directly uh, or you can use MetaMask and ledger so in the case of ledger your private keys never actually leave the device and when you want to make a trade you get a little um, you know confirmation that says Please, please sign this transaction on your ledger. And at that point, you're executing the, the trade that you just input into the interface saying, I want to buy you know, X number of tokens at, at this price. And so because of that, it makes it a much safer environment um, because the user knows every time what action they're taking. Uh, they aren't at risk of someone else coming in and draining their funds or making trades that they don't authorize. Uh, and it also leads to auditability. So because all of this is written into the blockchain, all the trades are publicly viewable. So you can see and, and be sure that, you know, the trade you initiated was on that that went through.
0: So the next obvious question is like, that's, that's wonderful. Like all of that is exactly what we need. But my, my obvious question is you claim to have the scalability of being able to support many, many users doing many, many trades and that sounds from like the, from a surface level, like it would take either it would be expensive in terms of transaction fees or slow. How do you overcome those two things?
4: Yeah, so our design, it's kind of inspired by state channels. Um, so in a state channel, users deposit uh, and they um, you know, put their funds aside and then do a lot of transactions that are off chain. So they send authorized transactions back and forth to one another. And they kind of know that at any time, if. Uh, someone wants to close the channel as it's called they can take the latest authorized transaction broadcast to the blockchain and the state of the of the blockchain will update to reflect all of the transactions that they've done um so our design doesn't allow for a lot of transactions before settlement but it does allow for separating the act of trading from the act of settlement um, so when a user deposits into our smart contract they've in a sense opened a, a new a new channel um, we're calling it the channel hub uh, so at that point, if you authorize a trade, there are essentially two databases keeping track of everyone's balances and everyone's uh, transactions. So when you first authorize a trade, our central server uh, it takes the authorized transaction, uh, verifies its validity, and then immediately updates your balance. So from the user's perspective, you make a trade, and immediately it goes through. You can see your balance update uh, if you have those, uh, if you bought a new token, you can immediately take that token and, and trade it on another market. Um, behind the scenes, we've taken that authorized transaction from the user and are dispatching it to the blockchain in the correct order. Uh, so there's a bunch of different trades going on. We have a transaction graph that makes sure that everything mines in the correct order, because you can imagine if you made to two different trades and one was dependent on the other, you know, maybe you bought some tokens and then sold them a few minutes later, you need to make sure that the transactions bind in the correct order. If you try to broadcast the sell of those tokens before the, the, the purchase has gone through on the blockchain, it's gonna say you don't have those funds and it's going to fail. Uh, so it's really, it's by separating those two steps, separating the uh, kind of authorization and what the user sees on their end uh, with the final settlement on the blockchain, that allows us to provide that real-time trading experience for users um, while not being uh, kind of slowed down by the inherent slow settlement speed of the Ethereum
5: blockchain. Mm. You guys are using this technology pretty well. Uh, Yeah, thank you. I, I, um, you know, going on that vein, I see here that you guys offer like instant gas-free cancels. Is that also because you're leveraging state channels as well? Yeah, so
4: the idea there so if you think about when you're authorizing a transaction you've basically given permission for the blockchain to you know execute some some behavior uh in this case if you're putting an order out there you know you're a market maker you put an order on the exchange you're saying that you give approval for these two tokens to be traded at a certain price and someone can come along later and say i want to fill that transaction you know i like the price i like the amount uh i want to make take the other side of this trade Um, And then it's broadcast to the network. Uh, If at any time you decide that you don't want to make that trade, you actually have to mine that cancel into the blockchain because your transaction has been authorized. Um, So the way most exchanges, most of the decentralized exchanges are dealing with it is you actually – your transaction cancel isn't finalized until it's it's mined into the network. Uh, so, for example, you would broadcast that, that cancel transaction, and then you're actually having to wait. And at that time, someone else could come along and, and fill that transaction in the interim period uh, if your cancel doesn't go through first. Um, you'll actually see issues on some of the other exchanges where users enter in an incorrect price, uh, they mix up the pricing and they they actually have the inverse. They do the wrong tokens and the wrong amounts. Um, so they're given a great deal, and then you have what's called race conditions, where the the purchaser, excuse me, the market maker is actually racing to get their cancel mind to get someone else who's trying to fill that mispriced order. And you see market takers. They, it seems like you know some people have some bots out there that are watching for this, and will send transactions with really high gas prices. You know, we saw one. It was like a twenty thousand dollar mistake. And the individual on the other side had sent it with about $400 worth of gas to make sure that it got through before the cancel was able to be mined. So in our case, um, because we uh, control the dispatch of the transactions to the network, uh, when users want to cancel their transactions, we just pull it from the order book and then delete that transaction from our database. Um, But we still don't feel that that's enough because if someone were to – if for some reason our server were to be compromised, um, you could have an individual who would – Harvest transactions, so to speak, um, wait around and gather uh, authorized transactions from individuals that they could then fill at a later date uh, when they were priced in the in the bad actor's favor. Um, so we've actually instituted a. a design in our smart contract that allows people to bulk cancel transactions uh, using what's known as the nonce Um, so in all of ethereum when you create a transaction there's a number known as the nonce that increments up every time you make a new transaction Uh, and the goal there is to prevent people from replaying past transactions miners from replaying old transactions again and again Uh, so in this case we actually have a function that allows people to Uh, invalidate all past transactions uh, by incrementing that value above what it was at the time those transactions are signed Um, so this really it's a big benefit for users because you can imagine if you're using trading bots you're gonna be placing and canceling orders all the time as the market moves around Um, it's just inherent uh, that your you know market makers are trying to find that right price and, and keep the right spread so if you do that on another exchange every time you, you cancel an order, you're gonna actually have to mine that cancel into the blockchain one at a time. Uh, whereas on our exchange, you can mine it in batches, so to speak. Um, So we actually were instituting a once a week kind of purge process, as we're calling it, uh, just to make sure that we're kind of protecting ourselves and our users. Uh, But users can also call that at any time. So if you've made a bunch of trades throughout the day, you know, you've made hundreds of trades and cancels, and you want to be sure that, you know, none of them, none of those authorized transactions are still valid, you can call that function and do it yourself.
0: I can see that the good portion of your time is spent educating the, the public on why what you're doing is important just by this by listening to your your explanations to us like a good portion of what you're doing is is education as well as the gift. in order to create something on the bleeding edge that takes advantage of the technology probably the way it should be taken advantage of you have to explain to people who are ignorant of that why it's important that they do it this way like how much like how much of your time do you spend like just explaining subtleties of Ethereum like what the nonce is and why it allows you to do these types of things.
4: You're absolutely right, and you know from our perspective, we start with kind of what's the user experience, right? And so we're trying to describe to users here's the types of behavior that you that you need for a high performance exchange. You know, if these if these products are ever going to compete with the existing centralized exchanges, you need to be able to at least match the user experience. Um, we've seen that. You know, I, I I would point at the Bitfinex hack as an example of. You know, people were up in arms about the lack of security or the issues that happened. Uh, But the next day, their trading volume was, you know, back back to normal. So, it shows that people kind of go where they're comfortable, where there's a a good user experience, and where there's high liquidity. So... You're absolutely right. We do spend a lot of time educating people on why these things are important, uh, You know why you, why you want to design and exchange this way. Um, and one of the things is we're kind of preparing for what we see as the inevitable growth and backlog of the Ethereum network. So we saw it a little bit coming up before this previous hard fork. Um, where the block times were longer and transaction queues started to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're trading on some of these other exchanges, then every time you authorize a transaction, you have to wait until it mines before you can do another one. Um, and then I mentioned those those race conditions earlier. So if you're waiting for your transaction to mine, someone else can come along and broadcast another one with a higher gas price. And the miners you may pick that one up first because it's paying for prioritization. Um, in that case, it, it leads to a... a a worse user experience um, because you don't have that feel uh, and kind of familiarity of a traditional exchange where you make a trade and it goes through. Um, So our design has a a major advantage in that environment where users can trade back and forth instantly. The the transactions are all queued for dispatch and whether they actually mine one to four hours later, it doesn't affect the user experience. The only impact is that they're unable to withdraw from the system until everything has settled. Um, so that's kind of that last piece of the state channel analogy is uh, when you, in order to close it, uh, you got to make sure all the transactions have lined into the blockchain. Uh, at which point, the balances on the Ethereum blockchain are in sync with what is in the database, and the user can actually withdraw from the exchange back into their wallet.
1: Mm.
5: So let's switch it. Let's switch the flavor a little bit. So, are you looking to like totally disrupt the exchange? I guess, system the way it exists right now? Because they're becoming somewhat of like a a huge centralized hub of traffic of cryptocurrencies and tokens and everything. Or are you just looking to give the user options? Well, of
4: course, we have big ambitions, right? So um, I think we think what we've done now is the best that can be done with the current version of the technology. Um, One of the challenges, though, is that our – Our our ultimate transaction volume is still limited by the transaction throughput of the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, So you could imagine if we were ever to, you know, when we get to the size of, you know, someone like GDAX or Poloniex, they're doing sometimes thousands of transactions a second. And that is just more than the Ethereum network itself can process. Uh, So in that case, the backlog starts to grow and, you know, users can continue to trade, but it starts to take longer and longer for all their trades to settle. So we're actually looking, this is kind of the MVP of our broader vision. We're gonna, we're, we're gonna create a high performance exchange protocol. Um, so we, there are some, some exchange protocols out there, but we think that uh, they don't satisfy the needs in terms of the, uh, kind of the user experience and scalability required to compete with those centralized incumbents. Um, so that's where that's kind of, uh, this is our MVP, if you will, uh, what's possible by utilizing this design and this, this architecture concept. Uh, but we want to expand it and um, kind of grow it further to the point where, yes, we actually can. We do have an offering that can compete against those centralized exchanges.
0: That's a it beautifully led me to my next question, or what I was curious about in terms of your forward-looking, how how far you're going into the future. Because although you're you're handling things currently probably the best way in terms of taking advantage of the decentralized nature of what you can do for exchanges, that there's going to be new technology that allows people to then get that transaction throughput in a decentralized way. So take, take for instance, plasma plasma has been said to like off be able to offer up decent like real decentralized exchange while enabling all the throughput while maintaining a lot of the security guarantees of being on the mainnet. Have y'all looked into like all these new second layer solutions that are going to allow for, you know, the, the <laughs> transaction volume start to scale is like is there any current direction you're going other than this, like, um, exchange protocol and or what, what's entailed by the exchange protocol?
4: So we want to bring our own exchange protocol. And by that, we're going to design our own kind of side, um, side chain, child chain architecture that will allow us to scale and kind of focus on the specific transactions that we need. Um, so we're going to take our existing design and bring it to a sidechain solution where you can, um, the, the analogy is you lock up funds on the mainnet in a smart contract. And then on the sidechain, you're able to do uh, more transactions, faster, kind of scale up the, the volume of um, of, this, of this transaction throughput. Um, so we're currently working through kind of the design of that, and it's going to be a proof of stake sidechain. So so uh, we've actually got our own network token, Aura, aURA, uh, that will be the staking currency of our sidechain child chain solution um, and that will allow us to until Ethereum itself scales you know through the the, the, the current solutions proposals, uh, something like sharding, um, you know until that point or even after that point we'll have a sidechain that will allow us to do two main things. So one is to increase the transaction throughput so we can have it scale and match the volume that's needed to compete with centralized exchanges. Um, The other is to have a way to share liquidity across exchanges. So we really like the idea behind the zero X protocol, uh, this notion that if you're a market maker and you've got an order Anyone out there should be able to fill it, and it, it's made possible by the technology. Um, however, like I said earlier, we think there's some some challenges or some uh, kind of functionality and um, you know characteristics in terms of how it behaves uh, that don't match the needs of a true professional trader. Uh, so, if it's ever going to compete with those other solutions, um, it needs to match that that functionality and that usability. And so, that's our design um, idea is to really make it so that it both matches in the throughput as well as um, the ability to share that liquidity across multiple actors. It's Mm -hmm. nice
0: that you're looking forward into the, the the way this technology is progressing because each, each kind of implementation of this technology has, seems to have some downside. Like you're going to fill, fulfill some want or desire or need from traders or market makers or market takers while almost at, at the cost of something else. But as this technology grows, you'll really be able to build something that fulfills all the needs of everyone as we're able to deal with like transaction throughput and things like that, but the technology needs to scale. So right now it seems you, you have to make uh, difficult design decisions or create your own protocol, whereas hopefully further down the line that won't be necessary. And those that don't like, I guess keep their eye on the ball as this technology progresses are going to get superseded.
4: Absolutely. And to your point, Others are working on solutions. We do feel, though, that if we're just to sit back and and wait for that to happen, um, that others will you know take similar ideas and and look forward the, or try to push for the kind of the, the the boundary of what this stuff is capable of by themselves. Um, so we've shown what's possible given the existing technology,
5: and now we want to help kind of push the envelope as well. Sweet deal. Do you have any um details on the token? Because you're going to be doing token sale, do you have any details on it, or are you guys still trying to work through building that up?
4: Yeah, so we've got. I do have a, a little bit of information. So um, we've got a couple of different things going on there. So w- one of the things I mentioned our token ARA. So the idea is it's going to be a, a staking token. <clears throat> so individuals will stake aura and with it secure the. Um, Kind of uh, validity of the transactions that are going on in this in this child chain. Uh, so it'll make sure that all of the chain transi- all the transactions on the IDEX protocol are accurate, and then also mined in the correct order. So I mentioned that that piece of you got to make sure that the user's authorized it and that it's a, a valid transaction, um, and then you also have to make sure that everything's done in the correct sequence. Because if things are done out of order, then you have issues with the balances not being in sync. Um, So that's what kind of the role of of the token is and, and the token holder. Um, and we're distributing it in two ways. So the first is we've instituted a rewards program on our existing exchange. So as I mentioned earlier, I think the, the biggest challenge is getting liquidity. So there's, there's no lack of options in the exchange environment. And so how do you incentivize traders to come over to your network? Um, even if it does provide a better experience, if there's no volume, uh, that's actually a worse experience. So um, one of the things we've done is we we're using this network token to incentivize market makers to come on the exchange. Um, so every month we're given away a certain amount of tokens, a certain basket, um, this first month it's 2% or excuse me, 0.2% of the total supply. And that goes out regardless of how many traders we have on the exchange. And then everyone who's a market maker on the exchange gets a percentage of that based on the dollar amount of their transaction volume. Um, so if you're placing limit orders and those limit orders are getting filled, Then every month we're going to be distributing our token uh, based on kind of proportional to the amount that you're trading. Uh, the idea there is to, one, incentivize traders to come over immediately, um, give you a reason to, to market make on the exchange today, even though we're still growing our user base. Uh, and then, two, give those who are most valuable to the exchange, the market makers providing liquidity, give them a, a, a literal stake in the network. Um, so they have a way to, as the exchange grows and as others start to come on board, uh, they have a way to kind of participate in the success of the network itself. Um, So I mentioned that's the one way. So the other one is uh, back when we were at Decentralized Capital, we had created a a membership token, DVIP. Um, And so that is uh, what we're actually selling in our token sale. Um, So it's a membership token. Uh, You can think of it as it gives you benefits on our exchange platform. And there's two main benefits. So the first one is you get free trades for the next two years up and through the year end of 2019. Uh, Or the alternative is you can do a rewards multiplier. So you can have two times the rate of earning the RO rewards. Um, So we're allowing traders to have the choice. Um, And you can go back and forth. You can say, hey, I'm a market maker. I want to do two extra rewards on those trades. uh, But I also do some some taking as well. And I want to get free trades when I'm doing that and not pay the transaction fee. Um, So that's another way that we want to get – Users incentivize early on to kind of participate in the network, um, you know, become, in this case, members and, and join our community uh, and, and, and kind of share in the in the growth and success of the exchange. Um, in addition to the trade benefits, those DVIP also come with 50,000 AURA tokens. Um, that's out of a total 1 billion uh, kind of all pool of the Aurora tokens.
0: I could get um, that. If I can get that real quick a clarification so you have two sure. tokens you're selling the membership token which hopefully um by the end will be is that like a proof of burn once they use it for either getting benefits or or, or doubling their aura
4: so it's a it's going to be not a proof of burn it's so um I'll just describe in a little more detail. So the membership token, uh, you get it, and immediately you can use it on the exchange for those benefits I described. And it's pretty cool. It's an example of smart contract technology in action. So all you have to do is hold the, the token in your account um, hold the DVIP in your account and the smart contract does the rest in terms of the amount of fees. Um, so you can actually choose, do you want to have discounted fees or do you want to gain the rewards multiplier for those uh, market making rewards that I mentioned earlier. Um, when we release our Aura token, which will be done uh, shortly after the crowd sale, um, you'll be able to trade that DVIP in for a uh, membership token that does not have the Aura benefits attached to it, as well as 50,000 Aura tokens. Um, so it's a a way to uh, kind of get benefits for trading on the exchange, either a way to get uh, free transactions or um, earn Aura tokens faster, uh, as well as a way to get kind of a base amount of Aura tokens for use in staking on the protocol once the protocol goes live.
0: Okay, I was just curious because it seems as though the one, the staking token can only be gotten through actual utility of the network. It's not something you can buy. Is that correct?
4: Yes. So we're granting it to members or through uh we there was a, a great um blog post by uh, what's this Hadrian Charles of Stable um talking about the way we need to use these network tokens, these utility tokens. And he was pointing out that a lot of these ICOs are giving up a a, a large portion of the tokens early on for huge sums of cash, you know, 50 million, hundred million, some even higher. And is that really the resource that these companies need the most? Um, his question kind of is, you know, th- th- there's other things that you need as a startup. You know, you need customers, you need marketing, you need good employees. You know, there's, it's a talent war in this space and it's really hard to find developers that, Um, You know, are at the the cutting edge of this technology. So, you know, he was kind of posing the question of how could we use these these tokens and these um, kind of the network effect of the utility token, use it more effectively, um, more judiciously in terms of how it's distributed to kind of target uh, everything that the company is going to need to succeed, not just a large sum of cash. Um, So we kind of took that to heart and thought, you know, what's the the number one important thing that we need as an exchange and it's liquidity. It's a a base of users who kind of believe in the exchange, see the benefit of it um, and, you know, want to uh, want to put their volume on it rather than an alternative exchange. Um, So that's really the idea behind the market making rewards program. Uh, So 20 percent of the total tokens are going to be dedicated to this program. Um, and we're doing a kind of declining, uh, distribution. So every month, 1% of the remaining amount is distributed out to market makers. Um, and that will continue. We plan to continue that indefinitely.
5: Nice. Mm, well played. Hmm, okay. I have a question. What's, uh, what's like the highest trade you've seen so far?
4: In terms know? of, in terms like of on, price? On your, yeah,
5: bon- yeah, in ter- not in terms of all. Well, I guess both. Like, what's the highest volume you've seen, and what's the highest you know price trade you've seen?
4: Yeah, so it would actually be. Um, we had some of our. Let me think about that. So uh, we've had some Dvip tokens going around. So we had a kind of a pre-sale in order to get us to this point. Um, so some of those, some people have been buying those. So we saw uh, it was I want to say a thirty-two ETH transaction go through. Um, so about ten K at that at the time. Um, and yeah. we're you know we're seeing volume grow every day, so we were there for the launch of the request network um, and the tradability of that token. So you know it's kind of one of our approaches is find find ICOs that are popular and grab those users early on when they when they're still looking for you know the exchange and, and what the alternatives are.
0: All right, let's look at I want I have a I have a like a usability issue, or not issue but question. So I have say I have a wallet with a various amount of ERC twenty tokens on it. That I've that I've created through my Ether wallet, and that's typically where I put, you know, tokens that I that I've invested in. And I want to try and get them onto your platform. Take me through the steps of how I do that. And like, is it just I just link that particular that wallet file to your to your platform, and they're there and, and ready to be traded, or do I need to take extra steps to get them ready to be traded?
4: And that's exactly right. It's plug and play. And that's the beauty of this technology. If you have a private key and, and a wallet that's got these assets associated with it, you can just come to our exchange and you you choose the option. It's under the user settings and you unlock the wallet. Um, the key is then stored encrypted in the browser, uh, which is something that other exchanges don't do. Um, and then from that point, you're able to authorize transactions, um, deposit to the exchange, authorize trades, all the things that you would want to do on a typical uh, kind of centralized exchange. Um, the other two ways to connect are through MetaMask. So a lot of users are familiar with MetaMask, the browser plugin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's- very easy to use Um, I think a lot of people using MetaMask might not even know that there's a private key behind the scenes Uh, they just know that they use the MetaMask tool and that's where all their Ethereum assets are stored Um, so that's a way to connect to the exchange as well Uh, the user experience isn't quite as good because with every MetaMask transaction you get a pop-up that says are you sure you want to authorize this Um, so that's just kind of a step that slows it down a little bit in terms of the real-time trading experience uh, and then the last way to connect is through the ledger. Uh, so if you're familiar with ledger, the hardware wallet uh, that allows you to keep your keys on the hardware device, never have them connected to a computer. Um, all authorizations have to come through the ledger uh, by clicking some buttons on the side of it. Um, and that's really the most secure way to trade on it. And in that case, the trading experience is still really good. It could, you know, We can authorize transactions about as fast as you can press those buttons on the side.
0: That's hot. I'm really happy about yes,
5: that. Yes it is. Yes it is. I really <laughs> like the idea of being able to log in with my ledger. I like it.
0: All right, I think that's a great way to wrap this up. Do you have anything like did we any questions that we didn't get to ask that you wish we did?
4: Yeah, so I think I kind of mentioned about our um, you know next steps on the exchange side. So this is really kind of the beginning of a broader project. So we've got two pieces that we're looking to expand on. Um, so one is, uh, I guess, I don't know if you've seen some of our, our website stuff, but IDEX is part of, we're calling it the Aurora brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, it's a broader ecosystem of financial products. So it starts with this decentralized exchange, uh, which, as we said, we're trying to scale it and make it compete with a lot of those centralized exchanges. Um, and then it starts to branch out from there. And one of the things we're really excited about, we're going to actually introduce it uh, more obviously and publicly tomorrow, is, is the Boreal Um, so it's a stable coin that's inspired by free banking um, and it goes hand in hand with idex Uh, so one of the challenges of a decentralized exchange is the assets that can be traded on such an exchange so inherently because it uses an ethereum smart contract it's limited to trading tokens that comply with the erc20 standard so if you want to trade traditional stable currencies such as dollars euros you actually need someone to bring those tokens onto the network. Um, so I know Tether is going to be moving over to the Ethereum network, uh, but there's some critiques about that model where you're trusting individuals to issue a token that is backed by another asset that's held off-chain you know, in a bank account, um, which can come with its own host of problems. Um, and as I mentioned, that's actually where we, we started, and, and our thinking has evolved since then, and we're trying to solve this in a decentralized fashion. Um, So we've got a stable coin that really is it goes hand in hand with IDEX because IDEX is able to benefit from the stable coin by having a stable coin uh, as a base currency. So instead of trading Augur, Rep versus ETH, you can trade Augur, Rep versus Boreal. Um, And then the Boreal is able to benefit because IDEX is going to act as one of the first retailers to accept the Boreal at face value. Um, so if you you know we studied a lot of kind of monetary theory, currency. What what makes a currency valuable in the user's eyes? Um, and really, most of it it comes down to can do I trust this? Can I spend it somewhere? Uh, are there individuals who will accept it as payment? um and if so then it it kind of imbues that asset with value uh so in this case the boreal will always be accepted on idex in lieu of transaction fees um so it'll be accepted at its usd value Um, In lieu of transaction fees. So individuals will actually be incentivized to use the Boreal. We're going to offer a a slight discount on the transaction fees such that if individuals see it trading below its kind of par target value, they'll be incentivized to buy it to purchase it in order to get discounts on future trades. Um, Additionally, it's backed by combination of reserves in addition to that retailer backing. So um, we're going to be using some of our tokens from our our crowd sale um, in order to back it with uh, kind of an asset backing in terms of the decentralized currency. Um, And then over time, as the network gains more transaction fees, those will go into the reserves, increasing the amount of Boreals that can be issued on the network.
5: Well, Alex, we got one last question for you. It's a toughie. Um, and it is. In 10 words or less, can you describe blockchain?
4: That is a great question. Give me yeah. one second here. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um It's a shared database that no one owns, but everyone can participate in.
0: That's, that's less than I 10. Eight words, eight words. I Good got stuff. ten on the dot. Oh well, maybe. Either way, how either way, great job.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that was a <laughs> that was a doozy.
0: <laughs> maybe ask that of all of our guests to kind of see what uh see how they can abstract away everything that they want to say about it while still getting as much as they can in ten words. Most people just uh, don't even fantastic. listen to the 10 words. They just, just keep going. Just
4: start rambling. Yeah, no, that's that was fantastic. So I like it a lot.
0: All right, Alex, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Um, hope to get you back on when, when things start progressing. And I definitely will be looking into using IDEX to, for my own trading needs.
4: Sounds good. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the time.